coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you, of course, by our great friends at my. Bookie, Super Bowl Sunday, guys. It's now two, three days away. So jump in on the action while you can. You know you want to put some wagers down this game, and there's no better place to do that at than MyBookie. And it's a very simple process. Go to MyBookie.ag, sign up for a brand new account, and use our promo code when you do, UGA, and you get a 50% bonus on that first deposit. So jump in on that action. But I am your host, Tyler, and I am back with... Another edition of the UGA Hoops Report, and this is one, to be quite honest with you, I don't really want to do because uh, I don't really have any good news to share with you. I have no positive spin to put on things because it's kind of hard to do that right now. It's been a tough couple of weeks for the Hoop Dogs. We've lost now four in a row. We very easily could have won all four of those games. I will say the last two, South Carolina at home last night on the road in Starkville against Mississippi State. As the second half wore on, they kind of pulled away and we weren't really in it. But there were points in both of those games, especially the first half against South Carolina. The second half, we pulled within three, I want to say, at one point against Mississippi State, four at a couple different points. But we just couldn't stop the runs. We'd pull close and they would make a run and they would extend their lead and pull away again. And they pulled away late. But, you know, Mississippi State, that was the one that frustrates me really more than any of them. I know, I know, like... The Florida game, God, we had the ball, last possession in regulation, and we just come up with an absolute dud of a possession. We've been playing so well up to that point, and we don't get the ball into the hands of either of the two guys who got us there to that point, either R.J. Melendez, who went over 34, 35 points in that game, and Blue Kane, who was hot down the stretch. We have Justin Hill try to take the ball to the rim, and... Didn't even get to the rim. He just was dribbling around and just terrible possession. So that one's frustrating. Alabama, huge lead. Yes, what, 17-2 to open the game. A double-digit lead for most of that game going into the second half, and then you end up blowing it late. That one's obviously frustrating. But both of those teams are just better than us. Their rosters are just far superior to where our roster is right now. So while it's frustrating the way those games ended when you get so close— I'm not mad about them. Like, I get it. Like, those teams are better than us. Like, we probably shouldn't even been at the point where we were pushing those teams to win games. But we were. So that that's something to kind of take to pride in, to build off of. We don't take moral victories. We don't want moral victories. But we're looking for progress. And that was clear signs of progress in our program. But these last two games, I know South Carolina is a really good basketball team. But they're not... They are more talented than we are. The roster is better than ours, but it's not significantly better than ours the way that Florida's and and certainly Alabama's are. So that one was frustrating. We did beat them on the road in Columbia. Now, if if you're going to beat South Carolina, I'd much rather have the one on the road in Columbia because that is a quad one win. It would not have been a quad one win last Saturday at home, but it still would have been a nice quad two SEC win. And who knows, maybe it could have been a quad one win if they, you know, continue to to win at the rate they had been winning at. But it'd have been really nice to sweep the Gamecocks. It wasn't to be... I feel like we should have won that basketball game. At home, on a Saturday, sold-out crowd. I'm very disappointed with the way that game went down. But the one that really gets me is Mississippi State because that team is not really more talented than we are. I mean, marginally, maybe, but 
Also, not really. That team struggles to score, guys. They struggle to score. They cannot shoot the three. Josh Hubbard, the freshman, now that guy can shoot lights out, but he's really about it. And I am not saying that Mississippi State was unconscious from three last night, but they were shooting the ball far better from three than they typically do. Now, it was a rough start because that's what Mississippi State is, but we gave them far too many clean looks as the game wore on, and they started to hit them. Now, that one dude that simply has not played all year, I've watched Mississippi State probably five or six times this year, and I have not seen Keyshawn Murphy play one single minute. I have not seen him on the court, and he jumps in there, hits a couple of trays, drops 10 points, and I mean, hey, a guy like that who I hadn't seen play and expect to have him be an impact player, plays 15 minutes, 10 points, and they end up winning by 13. I mean, that's a key factor in the game, but that team is not really better than us. You know, I've been saying for a couple of weeks, okay, yeah, you know, we blow the league against Tennessee, but they're just better than us. You lose to Florida on the road, that's okay. They're better than us. We, we pushed them. It's progress. Alabama, they're better than us. Mississippi State's not really better than us. I know it's it, on the road in Starkville, but you guys saw it was, a, it was a late game, late tip on a Wednesday night. Mississippi State was 3-6 and six in conference coming into the game, and the hump was, what, about half full, if that, when they, when they scanned the crowd and showed what they had in that arena. It wasn't an intimidating home environment. That was a game that we easily could have gone into and gotten a quad one win on the road. That was a quad one win that was extraordinarily attainable, and we just didn't come to play, y'all. We just played so poorly. I thought we played really well against Alabama, all things considered. I know that we ended up playing, we didn't play as well late, and, and they ended up making that comeback, but that's that's because Alabama's really good. They were not awake. They weren't playing well early in the game. They turned it on late, and we played above our above our heads. Like we were playing about as well as we could. We're maximizing our abilities there for most of that game against Alabama. I know we lost that game in Florida too. Like, you know, Florida, we didn't play well to open that game. The second half, we played extraordinarily well, about as well as we could in the second half. So those games, you kind of tip your cap. You say, you know what? We made a run. We played well. And you guys are just better than us. It is what it is. I don't feel like that was the case last night on the road in Starkville. I don't think Mississippi State is better than us. I know that they beat us by 13 points. You say, obviously, they're better than you. They beat you by 13 points. Yeah, last night they were better. But Mississippi State didn't win that game because they were just far and away more talented than we are. They won that game because we played really poorly. I mean, we just didn't play well, man. We didn't shoot the ball well. We shot 35% from the field. Once again, which is becoming the case almost every single game, we got out-rebounded. And once again, we got out-rebounded by double digits. Once again, they destroyed us on the defensive glass. I'm not even sure the effort was really there last night. I'm not saying that we just didn't put any effort in the game, but I don't think that we played nearly as hard as we've been playing the vast majority of the year, which is one of the reasons that I've loved this team, that they've been playing really, really hard, even though they're outmanned most of the time in the SEC. These guys are, are putting on the line. They're playing hard. They're fighting for everything. I don't feel that was the case last night. Now, we did fight back a couple of times. We we got down double digits multiple times that game and fought back, and we clawed to the point where we got, got it to four, right? Then we cut the lead to three at one point in the second half. It's like, okay, maybe even was it two at one point? I can't remember. I think maybe even two at one point but then we promptly allowed them to go back on a run and then eventually just got to the point where they started running away in the second half and um it just the body language on our guys late in that game didn't seem positive and I don't think that's really been the case for most of the season I mean these guys yeah, we've lost some games we've taken some hits but these guys have bounced back really well they kept their heads up and I saw some heads hanging last night I also don't think that we played particularly hard on Saturday against South Carolina I think that loss to Alabama might have taken something out of us. I mean, we've bounced back. We've had some tough losses. You know, obviously at Florida, we had a tough loss at home against Tennessee in a game that, God, that could have been a massive quad one win. 
But we've bounced back after all those losses. The team has kept fighting. I don't feel like I saw the same team on Saturday at home against South Carolina, and I certainly don't think I saw the same team last night on the road in Starkville. Now, on the road in Starkville, midweek game, like uh, more understandable at home on a Saturday, a weekend game, sold-out crowd against a team that was, what, 17-3, and about to be ranked, had just knocked off Tennessee on the road. Like, I don't, how can you not come out completely jacked up and with tons of energy for that game? And I don't feel like the energy was there. So yeah, I'm really more frustrated with these last two games, certainly last night's effort than I am with the Florida loss, with the Tennessee loss, with the Alabama loss. I know a lot of people are really frustrated with Tennessee and Alabama because those were top 10 net teams. We had double-digit leads late in the game on both those teams. We ended up losing both of them. I know that frustrates a lot of people, and I, I, I understand that. But again, as I've said, like I don't, I didn't expect us to win those games. I mean, we were, we were playing with house money there, even just making, making a run the way that we did and having the lead for 80% of those games. That to me is progress. Now, again, you want to win the games. You got to close the deal. Yes. But I was just encouraged by the fact that we were in those games. But these last two games, I know South Carolina is probably better than us this year. I mean, clearly they are. But again, I don't think their roster is significantly better than ours. And we have them at home. You already beat them on the road. That's a game that we could have won. Last night, as I mentioned, on the road, that was a prime quad one opportunity. That was of our remaining quad one opportunities in the regular season. That was the one. That was the one that was most attainable, most gettable, and we just didn't bring it. We didn't bring it. So to me, that is incredibly frustrating. Okay, so we've established things are not great right now. The season is slipping away very, very rapidly. But the bigger question becomes, why? What has happened of late? Because this team was, I don't want to say rolling, that is far too strong, but this team was playing really good basketball. When we were pushing some of the best teams in the SEC, we had double-digit leads on some of the best teams in the SEC. So what has happened recently to account for this four-game slide to where now our NCAA tournament hopes are hanging on by the thinnest of threads? To put it simply, the things that we were doing very well early in the season the things that we were doing that got us to the point where we were at least in the conversation for an insulated tournament berth, that we were beating teams like Wake Forest and on the road at Florida State, and you push Tennessee, you push Alabama, you make that comeback against Kentucky, you you almost pull that one out in Gainesville. The things that got us to those points, those things that we were doing, we are no longer doing. And I've got a list of them. Let's be specific here. Now, first off, the thing this team was hanging its hat on for most of the season before we started to make this slide here of late was defense. We were playing really, really good defense, the non-con, the early part of the SEC slate. We were doing great things defensively. We were playing hard. We were communicating. We were pressuring the ball. We were forcing turnovers. We were defending the three-point line incredibly well, which we'll get to next, but that has not been the case of late. Now, guys, listen to these numbers here, okay? In our last six games, four of the last six games, we have allowed our opponents to shoot over 50% from the field. In one of those four games, our opponent shot better than 60% from the field, which is unacceptable. I do not care who you are playing. You cannot give up 60% shooting from the field. I know how good Kentucky is. I know how talented they are. I think they are probably the most talented team in the country, at least offensive. They can score better than anybody in this country. But we we let them shoot 61.9%, almost 62%. That's essentially allowing them to score at will. I know how good they are. That can't happen. That simply cannot happen. You have to be more competitive on the defensive end. Now, you could say, well, it's Kentucky. They're great, right? They score the ball. You know, it is what it is. 
if it was that one isolated game, that's one thing. But no, that was just a sign of things to come. And it's it hasn't gotten worse, but it has continued. Again, four of our last six games, we have allowed our opponents to shoot better than 50 percent from the field they're getting far too many clean looks and that cannot happen now conversely in our first 17 games the first 17 games this season we only allowed one opponent to shoot over 50 percent from the field we've allowed four of them in the last six games now if we play better teams yes we're in conference play but we had a pretty tough non-con slate yeah we played the mount st mary's of the world we played those teams yes but we also played oregon who's an NCAA tournament team we played wake forest who's an NCAA tournament team florida state probably not an NCAA tournament team they were on their way to being one they had a terrible non-con slate they've been great in the acc until they lost on the road to louisville last weekend which Killed that, but they're, they're still, I mean, they're still right there. I think they're like top three in the ACC right now, top four. We played Providence when Bryce Hopkins was still available and wasn't out for the year. Played Miami. I mean, we got three wins against ACC teams. So we played some quality non-con opponents, and we only allowed one team, one team in the first 17 games to shoot the ball over 50% from the field, four of the last six games, that has been the case with one of those games, again, being with Kentucky, over 60% from the field. That is one of the biggest issues. Teams are just scoring almost at will against us. I mean, that's not fair. Some teams have scored at will against us. Yeah, I don't want to say that Mississippi State scored at will. They struggled. They just struggled to score, period. I mean, the fact that they scored 75 is ridiculous because that team just cannot score. Uh, South Carolina did not score at will, but late in the game, they got far too many clean looks. And we were not allowing those kind of looks early in the season. Now we are. Now part of it is teams have figured out what's given us trouble, which I've mentioned this the past couple weeks. More than anything right now, we're having trouble defending the ball screen. We're having a lot of trouble defending the ball screen, uh, particularly the high ball screen. Teams are getting switches on Chiwa, and he can't defend their guards. And they were getting, like Florida was the, the prime example of that. They were getting switches consistently with Chiwa, and they just took the ball to the rim, and he couldn't stay with them. You remember all those clean looks they were getting, like layups to the basket? Yeah, that's why. Now, we tried to adjust in the next couple of games, and we said, okay, we're not going to switch. Well, we're not switching, so that means that they're going to have better opportunities to hit those clean looks. You're going to have trouble getting over the top of, this, of the screen, and so we were going to open threes, like to Grant Nelson against Alabama. So, we're just having a lot of trouble with the ball screen right now. And teams are going to it over and over again. And at Mississippi State last night, they got some clean looks from three using the ball screen. Again, especially that high ball screen. So that's one of the biggest issues. To compound that, not only are we allowing teams to shoot far too high of a percentage from the field, our three-point defense has just disintegrated. We were one of the better teams in the SEC the first 17 games of the year defending the three-point line. The first 17 games of the year, guys, we only allowed our opponents to shoot 27% from the three. That's that's big-time stuff right there, guys. You win a lot of basketball games if you're holding your opponents to 27% from three. Well, what's happened over the last six games? 39%. We're allowing opponents to shoot 39%, almost 40 freaking percent from three over the last six games. And we just played Mississippi State, who is one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the entire country. I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around this one. Part of it is the ball screen defense, yes, but also communication. We're just miscommunicating and leaving guys open and having mental bust in a way that we just weren't doing earlier in the year. And now that when you have those busts, you're playing better teams, they're going to hit those shots. When you give them open looks, they're going to hit those shots. And it's happening on a far too frequent basis right now where we're just leaving guys open. We're not communicating. Guys don't know what they're doing. That has got to be fixed. And it can be fixed. Why can it not be fixed? Because for three-fourths of the season to this point, 
we were much better defending the three-point line. Why can we not get back to that? That has to be addressed, and it has to be fixed. But beyond the shooting from the field from three-point line, rebounding has been an issue all year long. You've heard me scream about this on this this weekly report every single week, I feel like, and it continues to be an issue. Like This is just never going to be fixed, I'm convinced, because it's been a problem all year. But especially lately, guys, over the last four games, we have been out-rebounded by our, our opponents 143-111. to We are minus 32 over the last four games. That's eight rebounds a game, guys. That, 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 that's crazy. That can't happen. That cannot happen. You're not going to win games when it's that consistently one-sided when it comes to the boards. It cannot happen. And the offensive boards, particularly, we're getting murdered, okay? Uh, our defensive glass, our opponent's offensive glass, we're giving up way too many second-chance points. And in these games that are close down the stretch, I know so like Alabama pulls away, but it was close down the stretch. Florida, close down the stretch. One fewer offensive rebound for Florida, we win that game. Maybe one or two fewer offensive rebounds for Alabama, and we win that game. And again, going back to things that we were doing early in the season that got us to the point where we were like in, in position to maybe make a run to the NCAA tournament, we're not doing them now. When it comes to rebounding, we are not finding guys and putting bodies on them when it comes to the glass. We're, we're, we're not blocking out, guys. I know that sounds like the, the, the most cliche thing ever, but we're not. Watch the games. We're just standing there looking at the basketball. We're not turning around looking for, for somebody to, to put a body on and block out. We were early in the season. I remember specifically the, the, the South Carolina game, which we won on the road. We were bodying up, folks. I was watching. I was saying, hell yeah, let's go. But we have not been doing that of late, and it's been a problem. Offensive glass, defensive glass, it's been an issue. There have been rebounds that we should have grabbed that we gave up to our opponents because we're simply not playing smart basketball, not playing fundamental basketball. And it's it's baffling because we were doing those things early in the year, but the past two weeks or so, all of a sudden, nope, we're just we're not gonna do them anymore. And I, I can't make sense of it. And then finally, free throws. Free throws, man. Now, one of my favorite hoodies that I love to wear this time of year is a very simple hoodie. It's a black hoodie with white lettering on it, and the letters spell out, make your free throws. Very simple. I love it. I love it. I love wearing it in college basketball season because every game I watch, games I bet on, Georgia games, when I see us miss free throws, when I see teams that I have bet on miss free throws, I cringe every single time. Every single one we miss, I feel like that's the one. That's the one. We're going to lose this game by one point, and that's the one that's going to cost us the game. Think about Florida, guys. Think about that Florida game, all right? That game against Florida, we send, we fight back, we claw back, we send the game to overtime. But if we would have hit one more free throw, we win that basketball game in regulation. We were a, we were in that game. God, I just can't even, I can't even say these things out loud. We were 52.9%, 53% from the free throw line. We only got to the line 17 times in that game, which is not enough, but 53%. Make one more. Make one more. One more, you win the game. Now, against South Carolina on Saturday, we were 100% from the free throw line. Hell yeah, let's go, right? Well, I guess, kind of, but also we only had nine free throw attempts, which brings me to my next point about free throws. We are 4-2 in SEC play when we have shot 20 or more free throws. We are 0-4 when we have shot under 20 free throws. You want to guess which four games we have shot under 20 free throws? Oh, yeah. The last four games. This four-game losing streak. 
Go figure. Funny how that works. In fact, through our first 19 games of the season, we averaged 25 free throws a game. The last four games, we're averaging 14. 14 free throws a game. We're talking 11 fewer free throws per game. Guys, we are leaving points to be had out there. We're leaving them out there because we're not, number one, we're not getting to the line enough. And number two, when we get to the line, especially against Florida, we're not hitting them like we need to. That is a problem. Free throws win and lose you basketball games. Essentially every single game. I shouldn't say every single game. Any competitive game, you can look back and say, well, who shot the free throws well? Typically, it's the team that won the game. If it's a remotely competitive game. Now, sometimes it's blowouts. Team lose by 20. Free throws aren't going to make up for that. But if it's an under a 10-point game, more often than not, it's free throws. Even if a team pulls away late, it's because teams had to start fouling often. If they had made more of their free throws, maybe they weren't in position to have to foul. So the next question is why? Why are we not getting the line more? Why have we gone from 25 free throws a game through the first 19 games to 14 through the last four games? Well, it's to me, it's pretty simple. We're not being nearly as aggressive offensively as we were. We're not taking the ball to the rim the way that we were for the majority of the season. Again, going back to what I was saying earlier, we're not doing things that we were doing all season long to get us to the point where we were contending for a spot in the tournament. All of a sudden, we just said, nope, throw up our hands. We're not going to do those things anymore. Nah, we're just not going to do them anymore. I, I don't understand it. I don't. I truly don't understand. A part of it, like mean, Justin Hill, for example, this man gets to the rim at will, but he can't finish over any length whatsoever. He just can't finish it at the at the rim anymore. He just simply cannot. And what he does instead of like going into the defender to draw the foul, he falls away from the defender and shoots some ridiculous circus shot that it has about a seven percent chance of actually going in. He's actively avoiding contact. I know he's trying to get the ball around the shot blockers, but go into the freaking shot blockers. Get a foul. Draw a freaking foul. And the problem is if Justin Hill draws the foul, the man can't shoot free throws. He's shooting 58% from the line right now. He played well-ish, kind of, against Florida. He did a good job distributing the basketball, which he hasn't typically done a great job of. But he missed multiple free throws in that game. Again, if he makes one of them, we, uh, yeah win that basketball game, but it was not to be. And we're also just settling, man. We are settling for way too many contested perimeter shots right now. It seems like for a couple of games, it seemed like we weren't even running good offense. We really weren't running. Like we were, our actions were very lazy. We weren't running a ton of actions. It was almost like hero ball, especially with Noah Thompson. Noah Thompson gets the ball and it's hero ball, man. He wants to show off his handles, right? He wants to put the ball between his legs, show off how good he is. And he wants to take that contested fadeaway three-point shot. And he was hitting a couple of them last night, but more often than not, he does not hit those shots. And he can get that shot at any point in the shot clock. Move the freaking ball. Hey, all you guys out there in the court, move on offense, the ball is becoming stagnant. We just have guys dribbling and dribbling and dribbling, and we're not moving to give them a target. You can see White, Mike White multiple times last night just screaming about it out there on the court. There's one play in particular. I want to say it was Justin Hill who had the ball on the right side of the court, and he was getting trapped, and Jabri Abdurrahim was at the top, was at the top of the key, essentially, and very easily and should have come to the ball, give him someone to throw the ball to and get spotted up from three, which that's what Jabri does best. But he's just kind of standing there. And that's, we're doing way too much. That We're just standing around way too much. We're just not playing smart offensively. That's really what it comes down to. We're not. So it's a lot of things, guys. This four-game losing streak, it is a combination of a number of different factors. Again, free throws. Our defense in general is taking a nosedive. Our three-point defense has been horrific of late. Our rebounding has continued to be subpar. All these things have combined for us to now essentially fall out of contention for the NCAA tournament. We're not completely dead yet, but essentially 
unless we just like make a miracle run, which I guess we can possibly do. But also, we have you seen this team? Probably not at this point. But when we come back from this last break, I do have some solutions, some thoughts on what we need to do to maybe get ourselves somewhat back on track. But first, let me remind you about our great friends at Alumni Hall. All you diehard Georgia fans out there, I know, like me, you have your your Georgia gear collections, and you've got your hoodies, you've got your polos, you got your t-shirts, you got your shorts, you got it all, right? But you can never have enough Georgia gear. At least that's how my mind operates. So, so for your next purchase of Georgia gear, it's a no-brainer. Go to Alumni Hall. I'm telling you guys, if, especially if you haven't been in there, if you haven't shopped there, you're going to be blown away. They have so many options, so many things that you're not going to find anywhere else. And you're going to be a customer for life. Like once I found Alumni Hall, I was like, game over, y'all. It's done. I, I, I'm Alumni Hall for life. You can't go wrong. They have all the best brands, best styles, best selection, best customer service, best of everything. So stop in today here in Athens inside the Edgebridge Shopping Center or online at alumnihall.com because Alumni Hall is where the Bulldogs shop. All right, solutions. We've complained enough. We've vented enough. Let's try to be a little bit more solution-oriented here. I don't know if I really have all the, I don't, I definitely don't have all the answers. I have some thoughts. Now, our, at the, this point, our roster is just not what it needs to be. It's just not. Now, th- that can't be corrected right now. Now, winning some games, winning as many games as we can, is going to improve the pool of players that we had to choose from when it comes to the transfer portal. That will help. So we just win as many games as we possibly can. But with the guys that we have to work with right now, I think there are some personnel things that we could do a little bit differently. And Mike Wise experimenting. I'm giving this guy credit. So for a while, you know, when RJ Sunahara came back from injury, he was starting the game. He was opening the second half, playing about, you know, seven to ten minutes a game. And I was fine with that because it seemed like we liked RJ coming off the bench. He gave us a boost, uh, some offense off the bench, and some energy there. I, I, I understood it. I respected it. I got it. But then it gets to the point. It's like, okay, Sunahara, God bless him, man. I know the injury really set him back. But it, all his minutes are just wasted minutes. I mean, I, I, and I don't mean that take a shot at the kid. I don't. But, I mean, let's just be real. They were wasted minutes. And I've been thinking that for a couple of weeks. I didn't want to come on here and say it because I didn't want to kill the kid. I, I just, I, I don't know. I don't love that kind of thing. But you fast forward to last weekend, and RJ had had a couple of really good games in a row, went for over 30 against Florida, almost single-handedly won that basketball game for us. Him and Blue came down the stretch. And so he gets inserted in the starting lineup for a couple of games. But then last night, He's not in the starting lineup. He actually only plays 15 minutes in that entire game. RJ Sunahara is back in the starting lineup. Again, only played, I think he played seven minutes last night. Dylan James is getting a little bit more run off the bench, which I have been calling for. I want to see more of him. He gives us he gives us something that we don't really have. I mean, he has incredible length and he is a stretch four. I mean, RJ is a stretch four too. I, I really like RJ Melendez and Dylan James. We'll get to those guys in a minute here. But we're trying to mix and match. We're trying to do some different things. Frank Anselm played a little bit more. So Mike White's trying, guys. He's trying to find the right combination. I, I'm not trying to kill him, but I have some thoughts on what I think needs to happen based off what I've seen over the past couple of weeks here. At point guard, Silas Dimery is our best point guard. We are right now, like Silas is essentially splitting time with Justin Hill, all right? And they're playing on the same, they're playing on the court at the same time fairly often. Now, maybe not as much recently, but it's still happening. It was for a while, they were closing games together on the court. And clearly the thought process was we want to have two ball handlers on the court. We don't want to turn the ball over late. We want to try to get good looks. I understand that. I get that. But here's the, the issue. Justin, neither one of them, not Justin Hill or Silas, neither one of them are knock knockdown shooters. They're not spotting up. Silas more so than Justin Hill, but that's not really the game for either one. The both of them are at their best getting downhill towards her. We have downhill guards. 
But Silas right now, I believe, needs to be the dominant point guard for a couple of reasons. Number one, he's bigger. He can finish at the rim better than Hill can. And Justin is awesome getting into the lane, all right? He can get in the lane almost at will. He's a great ball handler now. He gets out of control sometimes, but he's really quick, really athletic. When he gets single coverage, the guy can get the ball to the rim. He just has a lot of trouble finishing, and those are wasted possessions. And And he's not even really getting fouled because he's kind of avoiding contact instead of going into the defender to draw a foul. Now, even if he does draw a foul, which has become a rarity these days, as I said earlier, he's not really shooting the ball well from the free throw line. Silas shoots the ball better from the free throw line. He is a better shooter. Not, I mean, it's not a great shooter, but he is a better shooter than Justin. Justin has that little push shot, which he was hot to open SEC play, but I mean, he is he is died down. I mean, if you look at Justin Hill, look at this, look at this game log, guys. I mean, not look at it, listen to this. So to open SEC play, right, on the road at Missouri, 16 points, 19 points uh, against Arkansas at home to, to follow that up, then he has only scored in double digits one time in the last one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Last eight games, one double-digit scoring effort. He's got six points, nine points, eight points, four points, 11 points, five points, four points, four points. He is just simply not really contributing offensively right now. And yes, he had that game at, at Florida. We had nine assists. And he had a, a, a solid game against Kentucky in the second half. But he's also turned the ball over too much. He's playing out of control. Silas isn't perfect. He's a freshman. And he'll, he'll turn the ball over at times too. But he just can do so many things better than Justin right now that he's got he's got to be the dominant point guard. He's got to be the guy, I would say, 30 minutes to 10 minutes. Right now, it's basically 50-50, more or less. But I would give Silas about 30 minutes a game, and I would give Hill about 10 minutes a game just to just to give Silas a breather. At this point, that's that's what I would do because Silas can get to the rim, he can finish better. If he gets fouled, he can actually knock some free throws down. He's a better defender, bigger body. He's more in control with the ball in his hand. So that's one change I would make right now because Justin Hill is just not playing at a particularly high level right now. I wouldn't make too much of a change at the two guard. I mean, Noah Thomason, like, he, he is what he is. I mean. He's hot and cold. When he's hot, he's hot. He was hot last night, and I still do believe he is our best pure scorer on this team. So he's got to continue to play. I mean, right now, the last three games, he's played well offensively. He's averaging 15 points a game. Now, there was a stretch there the four games previous to that. He has 7 points, 7 points, 11 points, 9 points. But last three, he's been more aggressive. He's shooting the ball better from three. He was 6 of 11 last night at Mississippi State. He was 2 of 6 on Saturday against South Carolina, 3 of 5 against Alabama. So he's shooting the ball better. He's being more assertive, and he's been good for us. He's been the guy that we need him to be. I mean, 15 points a game, that's that's about what you need and what you can expect from Noah Thomason. He's been fine. There was a stretch where he wasn't that great, but he, he's kind of turned it on. And I think he's kind of figuring out like, hey, I, I got to score for this team. So at the two and really at the three, I'm fine with what we've got there. I like a three guard. I like us with a three guard lineup with uh, whether it's, you know, Silas or or Hill at point, and then Thomason, Blue Kane, Jabri Abdurrahim, those guys, I mean, they can all play the two, they can play the three, and they can just kind of alternate there, get a little rotation going. I'm fine with what we're doing there. At the four, I love R.J. Melendez. I know he's not perfect early in the season. He was not shooting the ball well. The guy is shooting significantly better right now. He gives us great length. He's awesome in transition. He's a good defender, a good ball handler for his size. I think he's got to play way more than 15 minutes a game, which is what he played last night. And he had been. Like Honestly, I'm trying to figure out what, what did he do to – go from playing 33 minutes, 28 minutes, 30 minutes to back down to 15 minutes. I know, I mean, South Carolina wasn't a particularly good game for him. I think he he was two of five from the field, six points, did pull down five boards. I mean, for a team that struggles to rebound, he is one of our better rebounders. He is awesome in transition. He's one of our better, if not our best defender. I'm baffled by why he only played 15 minutes last night. 
I don't know if that makes up a 13-point deficit. No, it doesn't, but the guy needs to play more. But I would really, I would give him more run than Dylan James. I would play RJ probably about 25 minutes, but I want to see Dylan James get about 15 minutes a game. This guy's knuckles basically drag on the ground. Incredible length, better length than anybody on the team. He's not a great defender yet because he's young, but I think the more he plays, the better he will be. He's got all the tools he needs to be a good defender. He can also step out and knock the three down just like RJ Melendez can. I like Dylan James. I really like him a lot. I felt like for a while he needed to play more, and now that he's getting a few more opportunities, I'm more convinced now than ever that he needs to play more. He played 10 minutes last night, so I'd like to see that 15 minutes, give RJ Lennon about 25 minutes, give Dylan James about 15 minutes a game, and have them just kind of rotate there at the four. At the five, we have who we have right now. We don't have a perfect option. Okay, We have Frank Anselm, who is a more active player, a better rim protector, but he's he's rail thin and gets pushed around on the interior. Then you have Russell Chiwa, who's a tank. He's 270 pounds, seven foot 270, but the man can't even get off the ground. I'm not even, can he dunk? Are we sure? Are we sure the man can dunk? I, I, he, I'm not sure you, you call what he does jumping. He kind of like, I guess he technically leaves the ground. So I guess it's a, it's more of a hop. It's not really a jump. I don't think he can jump. He just hops. He gives us basically no rim protection. As I've said many times, if the ball is in his area, he will devour. He can pull down the rebound. But if it's not, he's not a very active player. He's not going to move around and get the ball. Frank Anselm does. Like he's a much more active, more athletic player. He can chase the ball. Like He can move his body around, contort his body to get rebounds that Russell Chiwa cannot. But neither one of those guys are perfect. We put them both together. Hell, we've got a great player, but that's not how these things work. But saying that, I've been saying for a couple weeks, and going back to the South Carolina game that we won on the road, Frank needs to play more, okay? Chiwa is good at times. He is, talk about streaky, he is very streaky. There are multiple games that we would not have won if it was not for Russell Chiwa, and he's been fine, okay? I'm not saying Russell's been bad. Big Russ has been fine. He, I mean, down the stretch, we win the LSU game because of him. On the road to open conference play, 18-11 against Missouri, we win that game because of him. Florida, he played well at a double-double, 15-11. and 11. All right, he had back-to-back double-doubles, LSU and at Florida. But then you go the last three games. So it's, against Alabama, he was fine, 10-9. Florida with a, a third straight double-double. But he has had five and six points in back-to-back games. And he's turned the ball over too much. Like, when Russell Chiwa puts the ball on the floor 20, 21 feet from the basket, We've got problems. That never needs to happen. He turned the ball over three times last night, and it's just like, what are you doing, man? Get your freaking butt down in the paint, post up, and go to work. Now, when he does that, he's good. When he plays within himself, he's good. When he tries to do ridiculous things that are outside of his skill set, that's when he becomes a liability for us and starts turning the ball. He had three turnovers against Mississippi State, three against Alabama, had, uh, had a pair against LSU, a pair against Kentucky. A guy that plays center at seven foot 270, should not be turning the ball over that much. He shouldn't have the ball in his hands to the degree where he's going to be turning the ball over like that. But I would like to see more of Anselm, and here's why. As I go back to what we were saying earlier about some of the reasons why we are having issues right now. Defense has been a major problem. And teams are getting a lot of easy looks at the basket. Yes, they're putting Russ in some pick and roll stuff, which is which is tough for him to handle. Okay, sure, whatever. But also, as I said a few minutes ago, Russ does not jump. He is not a rim protector. Frank is. Anselm is a rim protector. That's what that guy does. In fact, I got the numbers to back this up, okay? This is wild. I, I went and crunched these numbers, okay? I went and crunched these numbers. So on the year, Frank Anselm has 14 blocks, all right? Well, Russell Chiwa has more. He has 16. So you would say, well, I mean, he's, he, he's a better rim protector. Uh, okay, well, let's also look at how many minutes these guys have played, okay? Well, for the season, 
Frank Anselm has played a grand total of 143 minutes through 23 games. Well, in the last five games, Big Russ has played 138 minutes. In total, through 23 games, Big Russ has played 551 minutes, which is essentially four times as many minutes as Frank Anselm has played, and he has a grand total of two more blocks than Anselm does in those minutes. I really don't think we give up much when it comes to rebounding. I think Frank is as good, if not a better rebounder than Chiwa is, and he's a significantly better defensive presence. He's much better as a rip protector, and we need that right now. If we want to clean up some of the issues with our with our opponent shooting a, a high percentage from the field, we've got to take away some of those easy layups at the rim, and Frank is the guy that can help us there. But for whatever reason, Mike White, who I, I really believe in, I believe in Mike White. He's moving this program in the right direction. But for whatever reason, White just has an aversion to playing Frank Anselm. He like, plays him when he like has to, but when he plays Frank, I mean, Anselm typically produces, man. He plays well, like South Carolina on the road. I don't think we win that game without Frank Anselm playing you know, 15 strong minutes down the stretch. And you come back the next game, the guy just doesn't play. He doesn't see the court. And it's like, oh, what? Like, what's going on? I don't understand. And again, I'm not saying that Anselm should be playing more than Chiwa. I understand that Chiwa's a better offensive threat. Of course, he absolutely is. There's no doubt there. He's much more polished, and he can use his body and be kind of a bully. Yes, he can do those things. So I would say about 25 minutes for Chiwa and about 15 minutes for Anselm. And if we're having trouble defending the ball, then Anselm should play more because he gives us more rim protection there. So those are just a couple of things I would do from a personnel standpoint. Now, that's not going to clean up everything. It's not going to fix everything. Again, we just have deficiencies when it comes to talent in our overall roster compared to the top teams in our league that we have to beat to get into the NCAA tournament to get those quad one wins. But there are some changes I think that we can make to our rotation to give us a better chance to maybe win some of these games that, that are closely contested that we just seem to end up falling short in. But all right, guys, last little segment here. I do want to give you an NCAA tournament update, and I am not going to blow smoke here, guys. We are in need of a miracle. Right now, we are in need of a miracle. We have blown basically every quad one opportunity. The only two quad one opportunities, for sure quad one opportunities that we're going to have left in the regular season are going to be the two games against Auburn. Auburn is a very good basketball team. Are we going to beat Auburn? Uh, probably not. We're going to beat them at home. I mean, we got a shot at home. I mean, it's a Saturday game. So yeah, maybe, but also probably not. I We have essentially no chance to win at Auburn. Teams just don't win there. I mean, it's one of the most difficult places to play in the country. Now, if we sweep Auburn and we beat A&M at home and we beat Ole Miss at home and we beat Florida at home, then yeah, we're right back in the conversation. But remember I just said we need a miracle? Well, yeah, that's what that would be. Winning all those games, sweeping Auburn, beating the triumvirate of Florida, Ole Miss, and A&M at home, I guess it's possible. Anything is possible, but that is the definition of a college basketball miracle. And on top of that, we'd also have to like not lose at Arkansas, which would be a, a terrible loss. Arkansas is dreadful. We have to play at LSU. L we could probably, if we sweep Auburn and beat Ole Miss, Florida, and AM, we could probably, if we could afford to drop the game on the road at LSU, okay? I mean, that, that would be great, but you can afford that if you win those other games. But come on, guys, <laughs> are we going to win those games? I, I mean, the way we're playing right now, I, I have a hard, hard, hard time believing that. I think the, you would certainly be deluding yourself if you think that's the case. Like, I hope that I'm wrong. I hope that I have to eat these words, but I just I don't see it right now. Um, if we can split with Auburn, and let's say we win two out of three of Florida, Ole Miss, and A&M at home, we're still not in the tournament, but then that we put ourselves in position to maybe, 
if we win a couple of games in the SEC tournament and we get some quad one wins there. Remember, at, at a neutral site, it's top 50 net teams. If you beat those teams, that's a quad one win. So if we get a couple of wins and make it to like the quarters of the SEC tournament, maybe we put ourselves in the conversation. I still don't think that'd be enough to get in. What we're going to really need, guys, is I said this a couple weeks ago, we need it. We really need this. We need Wake Forest to find a way to get inside the top 30 of the net. In the ACC, I think that's pushing it because there's just not a ton of quality teams, and I don't think they're going to have enough opportunities to move up that high because uh, we beat them at home. It's a quad two win right now. If they get into the top 30, it's a quad one win. Florida State, we need them to get in the top 75. We beat them on the road, so a top 75 win gives that makes that a quad one win. And they were on their way. They were up to like 85, but then they lost on the road to Louisville, who's one of the worst teams in the Power Five or high majors, whatever you want to call it in college basketball. So that one definitely. They did win last night. Uh, or was it Tuesday night on the road at BC. They won by a point. So that kept us in a conversation. But Florida State's going to have to go on a little bit of a run here. If they can somehow, some way, get in the top 75, that gives us another quad one win. So we're going to have to do some, some scoreboard watching and some cheering of some of these other teams that we have played and beaten. So yeah, B... Four State fans, be Wake Forest fans for the rest of the regular season, and, and and let's see what happened and just hope our guys can find a way to to right the ship and, and go on a run, because that's what it's going to take. It's going to take a miracle run. And as much as I want to believe, trust me, I do, I'm not holding my breath. But uh, yeah, all right, guys, that's all I got for today. That is the weekly Georgia Hoops Report. Again, not looking great, not looking great, but um, hey, we got to keep watching, guys. We got to keep supporting. Every win matters. If we don't get to the tournament this year, guys, every win matters because it's going to increase our profile. It's going to enhance our profile. It's going to make us more attractive to the high school prospects. It's going to make us more attractive in the transfer, transfer market. So even if we don't make the tournament, we got to just keep winning. And this team needs our support, so keep showing up to the home games. I'll be there. I hope to see some of you guys there. I hope you come and, uh, and support this team because they need it. They need it. And we're, we're, going, we're heading in the right direction. I still believe that, but... We are very clearly not there yet. But uh, have a great weekend, guys. I really hope that you enjoy it. I'm Tyler, and as always, go dogs.